the fifth Sunday of the Coptic month before Amshir, Tuba. And so because it was the fifth Sunday of a Coptic month, we borrowed from the readings about the miracle of the five loaves and the two fish from the second Sunday of Amshir. Today is the second Sunday of Amshir. So two weeks ago, we had the exact same readings, all of the readings, not just the gospel, but all of the readings were taken from today's readings. And so all of the readings are, are the same today. From Don't try it. Walk away. <laughs> so, so the gospel today is actually the same exact gospel that we uh, reflect. And of course, whose turn was it to preach two weeks ago? It's my turn. So two weeks ago and today I'm preaching on the exact, exact same gospel. But um, we'll take a different angle this morning in our meditation together. Um, of course, the, the end of the gospel this morning um, it says that the people said that when those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So the miracle that was performed, the feeding of the multitudes, was called a sign. And so I want, I want to just look a little bit more at the whole purpose of miracles. What is the purpose of miracles? Why did our Lord use miracles and why... And how do we, what are these signs that we're supposed to, that are supposed to point us to through the miracles? Because a sign is like something that you see when you're driving and it tells you either where to go or that you've arrived at, arrived at your destination. So a miracle <clears throat> isn't just the obvious physical manifestation that's taking place, but it's a sign. So one of the the beautiful quotes that I found very comforting from one of the uh, contemporary um, spiritual fathers and a uh, bishop in Greece is that he said that a miracle for one is a miracle for all. Because I think he, he understood or he expressed what I think a lot of us feel at times when we think about miracles. Why are miracles performed for some people and not for others? Or maybe even more directly, why are miracles performed for others but not for me how many times have I asked for a miracle how many times have I needed a miracle in my life and I found that the petition went according to my understanding unanswered or it was silent on the other end of my petition and so what he says here he says a miracle is good not because it brings healing to one person but because it manifests God to the many a miracle is good, not because it helps one person, but because it manifests something about God to everyone who's a witness. And then he says, if a miracle were merely a favor, like if it was just sort of a divine favor, like God says, okay, I'm going to do this for you. Then he says, God would be unjust. God can't heal some people out of a favor and then sort of turn a blind eye to others who are suffering. So there must be something in the miracle that is much more important than the personal uh, reception for the one who is receiving the miracle. So generally, if we were to ask, what's the purpose of a miracle? What's the purpose of a miracle? I think 
in the Old Testament and leading us to the New Testament, there is essentially one important aspect to why God performed miracles. And it was simply to reveal himself, who is a God who is otherwise what we call transcendent. To say that God is transcendent simply means that God is so beyond us, God is so beyond the physical world, God as a spirit is so beyond our material existence that he is so other than us. And so the miracle is an, is an, is an, an avenue or a way in which God sort of becomes imminent. The word imminent means comes close, becomes something that I can see and touch. So God who was in his nature completely other than the material world, he wants to reflect to his material world that he created, that he's close. So the miracle then is a sort of a prefigurement of the incarnation. It sort of prefigures the ultimate imminence of God, the ultimate closeness of God to our humanity and to our material world through his incarnation. So the the miracle then is a sort of self-revelation of God that prepares for the ultimate revelation of God, which is his incarnation in his son, Jesus Christ. So Christ becomes sort of this bridge between the transcendent God and the imminent God, between the God who is so far from us and so other than us and so different than us, and yet is so close and so part of us and now so intimately intertwined with us. So this is, I think, in the Old Testament, the primary reason God manifests these miracles. But then, again, what about this expression uh, of a miracle being a sign? And we can think of just, very briefly, five, five signs that the miracles point us to. The first one is the power of God. Right? So, very simply, when a miracle takes place, when Christ performs a miracle, or when a miracle from heaven takes place through the intercessions of the saints, right? we are simply pointed to the reality or to, to, the, to the understanding that there is somebody who can do something that I can't do. There is a power that is greater than human power. No matter how great that human power is, the miracle will always be something greater than what humans are capable of doing. So if humans are capable of healing through medicine over a period of time, the miracle will heal the person instantaneously and in a way that is impossible according to physics and science and so on. So the miracle is pointing to a power that is greater than the human capacity to do something. And this is very important that that God continues to remind the world that the power is not all ours, no matter how we build nuclear weapons, no matter how great our machines to do MRIs and CAT scans are, no matter how advanced we as humans, human beings can become, a miracle will always be there to remind us that there is a power that, that we do not hold that is greater than ours. The second one is, of course, a sign of love, that a miracle manifests God's care. A miracle manifests simply that God is aware of what's happening in your life and in my life, and God is aware of what's happening in the world. And he sends us reminders that he cares about everything. He cares about 
your illness and my illness. He cares about the wars that are happening around the world. He cares about poverty. He cares about all of these things. And so he reminds us through miracles that he loves humanity and that he is not indifferent to the needs of humanity. The third sign is the sign of the kingdom. When Christ exercised the demon out of uh, a young man, he said, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom, I'm sorry, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, yes, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, if this power to crush Satan is a power that comes forth from me, then it means that I'm bringing a kingdom that is greater and eternal, more eternal and more beautiful and good than the kingdoms of this world. And, and it is the destruction of the kingdom of, of evil and of Satan. So a miracle is always a reminder to us to look forward to the eternal kingdom. It's to think about not our earthly residence here, no matter how long it might be, nor what we can sort of build up as a kingdom on earth, but a miracle is always pointing us that the kingdom of God has arrived and the kingdom of God is consummated in eternity, that after this world, the kingdom of God becomes even a greater reality. The fourth one is that the miracle is a sign of grace, grace, especially the invisible grace that's working through the church and the sacraments. So when Christ healed the paralytic man and he said to him, your sins are forgiven you. So he's, he's revealing in the miracle of the, the, the man's paralysis, he's revealing that there is another power, which is what we call grace, divine grace, that is working to heal something at a, of man at a deeper level that's more important. So that like as uh, Archie mentioned last week, the, the, the miracle of the, of the multitudes, the miracle of the five loaves, which we read about today and which we've been reflecting about for the last couple of weeks, is pointing to the sacramental grace of the Eucharist. That more important than taking five loaves and two fish and turning them into thousands of loaves and fish is the invisible grace that is present in the bread and wine that's on the altar, or the invisible grace that's present when the priest prays the absolution, or the invisible grace that's present when we anoint the sick person with the unction, and so on. And then fifth is that the miracle is a sign of faith. And here I think people get confused sometimes. Sometimes people are, suggest that to have a miracle done to you, you have to have a lot of faith you have to have a lot of faith that the miracle will be done. It's not, that's not the case. It's not, it's not about having a lot of faith that a miracle will, be hap will happen to me. It's about having a lot of faith in the power of Christ who is capable of helping me. When I believe in Christ and his divinity and in his goodness and in his love, and I believe that he, he has the ability and the desire to care for me and to raise me up, then I am in a condition of faith in which all things are possible. And by all things are possible, it could mean a miracle, a physical miracle, but it could also more importantly mean 
a, a, a spiritual healing, a spiritual power and grace that I receive. So the faith that we need is not the faith that the miracle will happen, but it's the faith in the person who I believe is the only person who cares for me and loves me and can do for me what I can't do for myself. That's the faith that, that is like a precondition for God to work in us in whatever way he chooses to work in us. So those are the five signs. Okay? But what would we say is the opposite of a miracle? What would, you, what would you call the opposite of a miracle? Maybe the opposite of a miracle you might say is something just natural world, the natural world, the laws of nature. But I think that's sort of the lack of a miracle. But the opposite of a miracle, I think we would say is, is like a punishment, a divine punishment. We might, we might think that the opposite of a miracle is the wrath of God. Instead of his power for goodness and his love to heal, it's the power to destroy or to punish. And in reality, don't we sometimes feel that not only did I not receive a miracle, but I received the opposite of a miracle? When something goes wrong in my life, don't we sometimes say, why is God punishing me? There's a beautiful story I read this week about a young man in Mexico, this is a true story, who became a sort of virtuoso playing the piano, musician. And he became very famous, quite a celebrity, very good looking man. And he became so consumed with his appearance, he was completely taken by the, the vainglory of, of his uh, celebrity status. And one day he saw a small sort of black spot on his face. And he sort of ignored it. But then progressively it got so much worse. And he went to the doctors and he found out that he was leprous. He had leprosy. This was the greatest catastrophe that he could imagine in his life. The one who was popular and celebrity status and so consumed by his looks was now a leper. He tried to kill himself a few times. Eventually, he was taken to a house of lepers to be isolated. And one day when he was in this house of lepers, he discovered that in the hall, there was a piano. So he began to play the piano among the other lepers. And they were alive with, with, with uh, happiness. Especially an 11-year-old boy who was there in this house or this colony of lepers. And then he just saw how it transformed this boy's life from sadness and misery to having a light and almost happy existence. And little by little, this young piano virtuoso realized that the purpose of his life was to make other people happy. And he began to love his life. He began to find great meaning and purpose in his life that he never found when he was famous in the world. And very beautifully, the, the priest who witnessed this young man's life, he said that on his deathbed, when he was dying, he said, Lord, if you give me a new life, do not forget my leprosy. Very powerful. Lord, if you give me a new life, but don't forget my leprosy. Lord, if you want to heal me, but don't take away my leprosy. 
If you want to help me, but don't take away my leprosy. If you want to change my life, you want to whatever, but don't forget my leprosy. The one thing now which he thought was a catastrophe, was a disaster, was a punishment, he found to be the greatest grace in his life. And I wonder what we would, if we could ourselves reflect on the one thing that we wish was taken away from us, if we could say that prayer. Lord, if you want to make me whole, but don't forget my whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. And this is the grace of God who shows us the true miracles that are hidden behind suffering, hidden behind the cross. And there's also this beautiful story in the Gospels of the, the woman who for 12 years had a hemorrhage. You know the story well. There was a crowd of people that were following Jesus in Capernaum and a woman who had a hemorrhage was bleeding for 12 years. She went to numerous doctors, the Gospels tell us, that made it worse. She spent all her livelihood trying to find healing. And she thought, this man is doing miracles. Look at all the people who are following. They're all trying to get close to him. They're all asking for a favor from him. If I could just touch the hem of his garments, I will be healed. And she pushed her way through the crowds and she elbowed to get in and she did whatever she had to do. She had so much faith that if she could just touch him, she would be healed. And she did. She touched him and she was healed. And a saint who lived in Spain in the 19th century was walking in the streets one day and he passed by like a marketplace where there was like a tavern and, and he found there a famous bullfighter from Spain, you know, the famous uh, bullfighters of Spain. And he saw the people sort of crowding around this uh, bullfighter to get his autograph or whatever. And then he heard some children who were approaching this uh, celebrity bullfighter and he heard one of the kids yell, I touched him, I touched him, I touched him, I touched him. How excited this child was that he touched this famous bullfighter. And the saint, this, this 19th century saint in Spain, early 20th century, sorry. Immediately he thought of the story of the, the woman with the hemorrhage. And he said, wait a minute, we touch him. We touch him. We touch him on the altar. In, a few, in, in, in less than two hours, you and I will touch him. We will not only touch him, we will consume him. What if each one of us, what if each one of us today, whatever we're carrying in our hearts, whatever is burdening us, what if each one of us today, if we had the faith of this woman and said, if I can only touch him, I will be well. What is it in your life that is not well? Ask yourself. I have many things. I'm sure you do too. So let's think about today, if we had the faith of this woman, what's more important, to touch the hem of his garment? Like if, the hem, if, if, to, if right now somebody said we have the greatest relic of the world, the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ that the woman touched in Capernaum, you'd find millions of people coming to touch the relic. 
of the hem of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to us, come touch me. Consume me, eat me, as often as you like. Where's our faith that today we will be healed, not physically, but healed in the way that we need to be healed? In another story, there was 10 lepers who stood at a distance when Jesus was passing by and they cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And, you know, in those days, the laws, the Jewish laws were very strict about how far apart lepers had to be from the rest of society. So you can imagine this sort of group of lepers who were sort of cordoned off you know, cut off from the rest of society, cut off from the rest of the people. And somehow they're able to kind of slowly follow Christ as a group to where he was, to where he was going. And from the distance that everybody kept them from the rest of them, from the Lord and from the rest of them, Jesus could hear their screaming. He could hear them crying out, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. And again, does he hear your cry? Does he hear my cry? If he heard the lepers who were hundreds of feet away, he's not going to hear the, heart, the cry from your heart and my heart. And then he, he brought them and, and he said, go your way and show yourselves to the priests. Why, why did he tell them to go and show themselves to the priests? Because in those days... When a leper was healed, when a leper was healed, he had to go to the priest to sort of present himself and receive a confirmation that he was healed and could enter back into you know, society and, and to worship with the temple and so on. But he didn't heal them. He just told them, go show yourself to the priest. And the gospel tells us that while they were going to the priest, what happened? They were healed. So here's another important lesson for us. The miracle happened not when they asked for it, but they, when they were obedient to his word. Jesus, we came to you to be healed. You're healing everybody. Here we are, ten lepers. We need to be healed. Go show yourself to the priest. As they're walking, they're still lepers. But because they obeyed, they were healed. So again, do you want a miracle in your life? Do I want a miracle in my life? He gives us the key. Listen to his word. Obey his word. Follow his commandments. Trust in him. Abide in him. And we will see great miracles happening in our lives. Now what happens when our whole life is transformed by the power of God and the love of God and the faith that entrusts everything to him and all of these things that we've been talking about. Listen to this beautiful quote from a 6th century uh, Syrian father. His name is John of Daliatha. He said, he's talking about the person who is enlightened and transformed by this relationship with Christ. What does this person become? What does he look like? He says, when he is eating, in his food he sees you. 
capital Y U, Christ. When he is eating, the person who is transformed, when he is eating, in his food he sees you. And when he, when he is drinking, in his drink, you are sparkling. When he is crying, in his tears, you are shining. Everywhere he looks, there he sees you. Everywhere he looks, there he sees you. You are in the food. You are sparkling in the drink. You are the shining of the tears. You are in everything that we see, Lord. This is why the Lord sends us miracles, is to transform us into a life of faith and trust and hope and love so that we can, like St. John of Daliata here says, become this transformed person. Now, that still leaves us many questions. We still have many questions as to why God, God does some things for some people. Why does he choose, even if it's a, a healing for one is a sign for all, but why the one? Why not that other one? Why not me? And the reality is that I have no answer. And you don't have an answer. And I was very comforted to read about one of the saints, is a Russian saint who was recently canonized. And so he's familiar to our contemporary times. He's somebody who reposed just in our generation. And he was uh, corresponding with a spiritual daughter of his through letter. And in one of her letters, she asked him, of course, sometimes we, we look to the saints for answers. You are close to God. You have sort of this enlightenment. You have uh, intimacy with God. Explain God to us. Walk away from the computer. <laughs> Explain God to us. Because we don't understand him sometimes. So this young uh, lady, she asked him, why does God allow so much pain and evil in the world? Why does God allow so much pain and evil in the world? And look what the saint wrote back to her. And this saint, by the way, was, uh, he did miracles himself. He was a man of deep prayer. He, he had many spiritual gifts. Uh, he was a hermit for a number of years. He, he kind of checks off many of the boxes of, of, of the, these wonderful saints that we, we speak about. And he wrote this. He said, I have been a monastic for 60 years. I've been a monk for 60 years in which I have done my best to live a good monastic life, to grow closer to God and to struggle against sin and to help my brethren praying for the world. And every day of my life where there is suffering, temptations and spiritual battle against evil and of all kinds of pains. And he himself was very sick in his life. He said, and I have always asked God why it must be so. So again, every day of my life where there is suffering and temptations and spiritual battles against the evil forces of the world. And in his own suffering, he said, I have asked God why it must be so. Why things have to be this way. And his answer is, God has kept his silence. And if God has kept his silence about these things, then so shall I. 
God has kept his silence. And if God has kept his silence about these things, then so shall I. And so all we're left with is raw faith, pure faith. Not uninformed faith, not unreasonable faith, not unjustified faith, no. But still, it, it leads us to a greater and greater life of faith. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who today manifested this great and wonderful sign to his people and pointed them to entrust their lives to him, may he also grant us the faith of the wonderful examples that we meditated on this morning together, the woman who had the hemorrhage of 12 years and the 10 lepers, and all the saints who have pleased him since the beginning. To him is due glory now and ever into the ages of ages. Blessed are they.